show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Hey there, it's Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about Best Buy Health expanding its home health partnerships. Will Health at Home play a bigger part in consumer-first strategies as some early adopters share the results of their programs? I'll talk about that. Then Paul Fahey returns to share highlights from Smith & Jones' 2024 Healthcare Marketing Trends Report. When he says it's the year of disruption, what does he mean and what should we be paying attention to? It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. Hospital at Home Partnerships with Best Buy Health are seeing results. Two health systems, Geisinger and OSF Healthcare, both shared how their relationships with the consumer tech company have impacted their hospital at home programs. According to a press release, Best Buy and Geisinger Health are expanding their partnership to improve chronic disease management at home. Geisinger was one of the first health systems to deploy Geek Squad agents to set up and support remote monitoring devices. Now that over 300 patients have been enrolled in that program since July 2022, they've reported some notable results. 50% reduction in the time from admission into the chronic care at home program to when device setup is completed and the Geisinger care team can begin monitoring the patient remotely. It's a reduction from an average of 96 hours to 48 hours. A 19% improvement in how well patients follow their care plans by wearing and using their remote technology equipment more consistently. An 18% reduction in technical issues being reported. When needed, Geek Squad agents have been able to replace devices in the home within 24 hours of being reported. And patients had overwhelmingly positive feedback, driving a world-class NPS score of 89. Then there's OSF Healthcare, based in Peoria, Illinois, According to Beckers, since partnering with Current Health in 2019, OSF has seen fewer emergency department visits, lowered utilization of hospital resources, and decreased overall cost of care for patients enrolled in the program. Patient feedback here has also been positive, with patients stating that the remote monitoring program makes them feel cared for. So it's nice to see some results being reported here. Everyone is seeking data and social proof to make informed decisions on which types of consumer-centered innovations to pursue that make sense for their organizations. With results like these, we're getting a clearer picture of the value that Health at Home can potentially offer. I have to say, I'm not too surprised to see results that are trending in the right direction. We know from our interviews with Deborah DeSanzo and Chris McGee that Geek Squad agents receive empathy training before going into a patient's home. I didn't say it would be easy, of course, but you know me. I cheer for those who are driving consumer consumer-centered innovation, and not just armchair quarterbacking. And I say, let the doubters doubt. Because the fact is, not everything is proven yet here. But these early adopters are getting the beat on their competitors as they appear to be seeing some early returns and are also getting better at these programs. Remember when I refer to developing consumer muscles? These organizations are putting in their reps for sure. Let's remember that Health at Home is playing a bigger part in consumer-first strategies and continue to find ways to innovate outside the walls of the hospital. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. 
And that's the flavor of the week. The flow, the flow, the flow. All right, time to get into the flow. Please give it up for Paul Fahey from Smith & Jones. Paul is back. Hey, welcome back to the Healthcare Wrap. Thanks for having me. It was great seeing you. Yeah, likewise. It was great to see you in person at Shishmed. I always think when I come home from a trip like that and like family members ask, hey, we know you went somewhere, but what did you do? <laughs> what is it? What was this thing? If you were describing Shishmed this year, like how do you describe it to people who maybe aren't entrenched in, in attending every year? It was great to see a lot of people there. I think the... Show attendance continues to grow post-COVID. It just, it reminded me, and, and it's one of those rare events that I do. We present four or five times a year at, at different regional and national conferences, but it's just great to see something of that scale. The size of the audiences, the conversations, but just people talking again in person is wonderful. And Chicago is a great backdrop for that. It rained, but that's okay. It kept us all indoors and kept us just chatting and collaborating. For folks that didn't have a chance to go, a lot of the themes that we saw and heard at the conference are similar to, I think, what we'll talk about in this episode. But some of the things that were outside of our trends report, this HIPAA compliance and the acceleration of a lot of these rules. We're in upstate New York, and just a few weeks ago, there was another piece of legislation that was passed that said, no more geofencing hospitals, and now we're one of 30 states that are doing this. So it's just that constant awareness. Yeah, agreed. And you're right. It did rain a lot there. The case one night was it rained on us a little bit, even while we were indoors, as I remember correctly, at, a, at our little uh, yes. consumer first group meetup there. It was leaking just a little bit in that, that side of the bar. It was it was great to see everybody. Yeah, it was. Like, did somebody spill a drink? We're like, oh, no, wait, actually, the roof is leaking. It's raining that much. Okay, welcome to Chicago. It was memorable, to say the least. And you're also correct in, in the fact that I think a lot of the themes that we heard there do line up with the trends report you mentioned. So let's dig right into that. And what I'm referring to is Smith & Jones 2024 Healthcare Marketing Trends Report. The title this year is The Year of Disruption. Let's give some context to our listeners, Paul, in terms of what the report is, how many years you've been doing it, and then we can dig into how you even came upon the title. Sure. So this is our 11th year publishing an annual trends report. And for us, the, the reason we do this is to summarize all those things we've been hearing and seeing and presenting about and reading about. And, and like many of your listeners, I don't think any of these topics will come as a shock. But I think it's really helpful for us to aggregate this in one place. So all the things that we've been talking about on the monthly consumerism think tank, the things we're hearing at conferences, reading from Sway and Beckers and everything else, we start to add all that up and we say to ourselves, okay, what is it? What are those things that are happening that we see at the end of 23 that are really going to influence folks in the coming year? So it tends to be a bit of an aggregation of a lot of that and a little bit of that crystal ball. So let's take a step back and build out a tool that hopefully healthcare, Marcom folks and strategic planners can use to guide their work in the coming year. Almost have that as, it's a light read. It's a, a couple dozen pages, but five trends and a chance just to help guide their work next year. Check in with this document. Are we thinking about these things? Are we trying to stay a step ahead of these issues and trends to be more competitive? and uh, more consumer-friendly in the coming year. 
so it's nice to have as a tool. And then we use it also as a springboard for our presentations throughout the course of the year at other conferences. Nice. So how is disruption kind of the connective tissue here between the trends? How did that bubble up to be the main theme? Yeah. So we're all in this healthcare landscape together. And I think for us, there was this incredible transformation that we've been seeing and and things just really accelerating. And sure, there are various definitions of what a disruptor is. There are the retail disruptors, but there is consumerism and price transparency, all these kind of things. It just felt like that was the one thing that was tying in all of those different trends that we identified. We've outlined five we don't really limit it to anything. I think one year we had 10, 7, whatever it is. But when we thought about the acceleration of patient empowerment and, and consumerism, what that means for the brand journey, how we're speaking to this consumer, what's that role of AI, and even the workforce challenges, all of those felt like they were a disruption, not to the level of crisis communications per se, but it was really the things that would normally pull us out of that plan. We all have our marketing plans and we have a set of, we want to keep our brand out there, but we also want to promote service lines and we have all those different goals and things. And this is the kind of stuff that's just going to knock us uh, off track a little bit. And I think it's good just to identify those things, get ready for them, be aware of them as they become literally disruptors to what otherwise might be a routine set of plans. Yeah, to that point, one of the things in the intro to the report is that you mentioned how patients are no longer passive recipients of care. They're empowered individuals. They're actively engaged in their health journey. They demand more transparency, more personalization, and more control. And the words are very deliberate, and I do like how you set everything up when you talk about the acceleration of things. We'll get here into trend number one momentarily because that's what it's talking about, the acceleration of these things. But that's one of the fundamental facts that we want everyone to recognize here is, yes, we've talked about consumers having choices. And then that kind of confuses people sometimes, I think, when they're really entrenched in the industry thinking, well, I didn't have a choice for this or this. I to choose this one doctor on my health plan. And we get lost in the fact of, hey, people have choices now for some parts of their healthcare. Meanwhile, the evolution of consumerism is what we're talking about here, the acceleration of it. And that refers to the fact that consumers don't just have choices, they have expectations. They just want some parts of it to be easier to do. <laughs> they want, uh, when you mention transparency and personalization, you just want it to feel like this organization cares about you before you're seen by the doctor because the industry has made such great strides in terms of patient experience over the last decade. I feel like that we can clearly see that more often than not, the care that you get from a care team is the good part. That's the part that we're not complaining about. It's all the difficulty, all the friction that leads us up to that point. So with that, maybe that's a, a way to set up this first trend, which you refer to as the acceleration of patient empowerment and consumerism. Uh, let's dive into that. What what were some of the thoughts there? Yeah, so, so building on what you were just saying a moment ago, that is one of those disruptions that we're seeing. There were a lot of things that have been happening slowly over the last even decade, couple decades, that started to give rise. Again, I'm old enough to remember pre-WebMD. And when I first started my career, late 80s, early 90s, there was still that boundary between the medical professional and the patient had a much more passive role. And there was a much more revered sense of just fix me, give you my symptoms and you just tell me what I need to do. And for the most part, we all went along. 
we've talked about this before on your podcasts, but things started to move and shift a bit in 98 with WebMD, this democratization of healthcare information. All right, now I've got tools. I can go in empowered. It can start to spit out uh, diagnoses or whatever. And over the last decade, we've been starting to wear more of these technology devices. My Apple Watch will tell me all the things I need to know about my health, a lot of things I need to know about my health. Online communities, the social media gave rise to social communities where people are engaging in conversation and setting each other up and going even deeper than that traditional referral set of neighbors or asking for references, or maybe you were lucky to have a neighbor that worked at a particular hospital or health institution. So with all these technologies, the the healthcare apps, even now genomics, all that stuff had been percolating in the background for the last 20 years. And I think that's what had laid the groundwork for consumer empowerment, consumerism. But over the last couple of years, and this is something we talk about very often on your monthly think tank, things really started rocketing forward. Okay, these high deductible health plans are making folks more cost conscious. And that's also giving rise to the price transparency. I think so many of us remark so often that when I look at Walmart, they have a price list. I know exactly what that diagnostic procedure is going to cost if I need a strep test or if I need this x-ray or whatever else it is. I have a rate card. And that's something that you know never existed. Healthcare is one of those few places I think of and uh, healthcare and I think of my utility bill where I go in as a willing consumer and I have no idea what I'm buying or what it costs and how much in the case of healthcare my insurance company costs or, or is going to cover what a particular procedure might be. I think of that sometimes when I think about just plugging in appliances or running. You could challenge me right now to say, how much did the electricity cost to run a cycle of laundry from your washer to your dryer? No idea. I know what my monthly bill is. It varies based on seasons. But that price transparency is something now that people are demanding everywhere in their life. And that's been accelerating empowerment the more that that Walmart continues to march up the East Coast and through the Southeast and South. Online reviews and ratings. This is not something we really saw much five, six years ago. But even over those last few years, people paying more attention to crowdsourcing opinions, Google, Yelp, all these different platforms, more so than they were. We just don't see folks paying as much attention or putting as much emphasis on U.S. News and World Reports as your top 100 or health grades and those kind of things. Again, now it's consumers supporting consumers, people in my community, and what do they have to say about something? I think they look at some of these other programs with an air of skepticism and maybe a pay-to-play thing. So with all of that, the retail clinics that that we talk about very often, and I hear very often on this program, catering to non-emergency care needs, but really being more convenient, more cost-effective in those environments. And now post-COVID, I guess we're post-COVID, right? We can claim victory over this, knock on wood. Telehealth really accelerated a lot, I think. And especially for rural medicine, I think for mental health, there's been a deeper acceptance on telehealth and an acceleration of that. All of that is pushing and really accelerating that consumerism and patient empowerment. So for the marketers out there listening to this, developing that patient-centric marketing, the personalization wherever possible, thinking about digital engagement. I appreciate the effort that it would take for institutions to get more transparent with pricing, but 
those are some of the things I think folks can speak to. And I guess one key piece of this that we didn't talk about yet was sense of trust. Data privacy and security is something that's in the news. It seems every day there are hacks and concerns. And I think consumers also want to know that not only can I trust you for my healthcare needs, that you've got a great staff and technology that can help me get back to better, but that I also don't have to worry about you reselling my data or just looking at that type of security as well as I have that security and your clinical capabilities. So I think all of that is what we've seen and heard over the last year, and I think it's going to get even faster next year. Part of the reason why we said, okay, this is our the first trend on the list, and one I think we spent a lot of real estate on in the report was that acceleration of patient empowerment and consumerism. Yeah, to that point, the word accelerate, like I said previously, I believe that's the word that catches my attention and that I absolutely agree with here. We're not going backwards in terms of our expectations as consumers of what an experience should be like. So I, I think you set the perfect foundation for the rest of the, the trends here. And it's very related to the second trend, which was beyond advertising, the role of the patient journey in brand perception. Uh, very curious where, where we got to here, because in my mind, there are a lot of implications for marketers. And there's a lot that has to happen. There's like a lot of implications, I guess, for it. And so I really liked this section. Uh, let, let's talk about the role of the patient journey and brand perception. Intentionally, we had this as our second trend, and it, it varies directly tied to consumerism and, and patient empowerment. They've become more demanding, right? And they have every right to be because there are things in other aspects of their lives where they can be that demanding. I think it's important to recognize that healthcare is not merely about providing medical treatment, but it's really delivering that in a way that makes patients feel valued, respected, comfortable, all those things that build up trust. Embracing that means you're embracing and respecting this empowered consumer. And so I think if we haven't recently, it's time to take a step back and look at all of those things, all those different touch points from paperwork to parking garages and everything in between. So imagine uh, arriving at your facility, audit your own organization, look for a parking spot, Try to figure out how to get to the hallways. What's the experience like at that reception desk? All of those things can leave a lasting impression and I think often overshadow sometimes the excellence of medical care. That I think is really important. And the reason we describe this as beyond advertising, the role of that journey uh, that people are taking, very often as marketers, we're fixated with, we understand what our brand is and our points of differentiation about something else. But are we really ready to live that brand and meet the consumer's expectations for what they, what that experience is like on that journey? And, and so the promises that we put out of perhaps simplified care, caring and nurturing can really be met and with a sense of skepticism when I arrive at the facility and it's dirty. One of the analogies that, that I often use that we put in this report is what I call the airline tray table analogy. So Imagine you're on a flight, you're at 36,000 feet, it's time to have a snack, you unfold that tray in front of you, and it's not well-maintained, it's dirty, maybe it's a little loose or whatever. When you think about the complexity of an airplane, the millions, quite literally millions of parts that all have to come together to move hundreds of humans, thousands of miles, one of the simplest things to maintain there is the tray table. And if you can't handle something like that, if it's dirty, if it's just feels like the bolts need to be tightened up or whatever, 
If you can't handle that, now I'm starting to really quickly wonder how well you're maintaining those engines. And frankly, that's not something I want to think about at 36,000 feet. So I think for listeners, really getting a sense, audit your own organization for that 360-degree experience. Where are we living the brand? Where are those airline tray table examples? What's the employee training like from Art Rule First? Do folks understand that concept of consumerism? Do they realize people have a choice? Or do they just look at it like a bureaucracy that I have a job to do today and I've got a list of people in front of me and I just have to process that before I can get through the end of the day? Are there interactions on message with your brand differentiators? Are they ready to live that brand promise that you're, that you're putting out there? That might be one of the easier things that, that marketers can start to think about. But how do we streamline administrative processes, paperwork and scheduling, billing procedures? I think it's really important. Take that experience from, I have a set of symptoms. I've looked up your website. I've literally driven to my own institution. I'm trying to find a parking spot. I have an experience or an interaction with folks. What's that entire process like, that entire sense of that journey? What are those administrative aspects of it? The facility aesthetics are pretty easy to make that analogy with what I was describing on the airline. But the physical plant, where all of our, many of our clients are cutting budgets. And certainly it would be very easy to say, let's keep the clinical things going and forget the importance of landscaping and groundskeeping and those kind of things. And, and there's an opportunity, I think, for patient feedback. Yes, we can use those surveys if we actually use them, but even listening to patient feedback in the public, I, and we talked about the importance of patient reviews online, but listening to the comments that are on social media, looking at your scores on Google and Yelp, and then actually taking those surveys into your KPIs with your C-suite and say, hey, this is where we got some low marks and I want to make sure we improve that because that's going to go into that entire perception of the brand and help better align marketing with our realities. And don't be afraid to pause a campaign until that service line or that part of the institution is ready to, to live the brand. So a lot of that is what the the thinking was that went into our trend number two. Yeah, I think one of the easiest and most relatable manifestations of this is when you look at a service line, a specialty doctor, and they're booked out eight months in advance. And they're like, awesome, we're booked out eight months in advance. And the patients are like, man, they're booked at eight months in advance. <laughs> like the, the, the reaction is to the exact same thing. So even starting to think, there is this brand promise. We're hyping the quality of our doctors, which I'll go on a whole other rant on sometime of how that's outdated, of only relying on a quality-based message and how that doesn't help consumers as nearly as much as we think it does. But being able to say that means something totally different to the person who's trying to seek care for something that's ailing them now. And I've spoken with some marketers who just say, well, I get that. The reality check has hit and we don't even know if we can meet that kind of brand promise. So why should we even put that kind of brand promise out there? And I think there are a lot of reasons to keep trying that because people are like, well, why even bother? Why even try to put out a brand promise of here's what you can expect. We're, we care about you. We're trying to make this encounter, this experience easier for you. That's what retailers are putting out there as their brand promise. They're actively addressing the convenience factors of care. And they are actively saying, look, we know how inconvenient it is to be seen by a traditional doctor. So there are messages out there like doctors who talk with you, not at you. Doctors who give you the time of day and night, hassle-free primary care. 
those are just those are all from one medical. Their messages out there are saying, look, parts of care can be easier for you. Here's how we do that. So they're actively mar- marketing those types of brand promises. And then it's absolutely a motivator to try to improve the experience to say, look, if we wait for the brand promise to be perfect and we wait for the actual experience to be perfect, we're never going to get there. So let's do both. Let's pivot the brand promise a little bit to focus on the innovations that we do have. Look, here's what we've improved. Here's what we can say. Here are the new options. We've made access a little easier or whatever it is. Here are those things. Let's add that to the brand promise. Let's pivot it a little bit. And then let's continue to evolve the experience itself. That's just a totally different conversation than, yeah, throwing out my hands. Hey, why even bother? <laughs> let's not even do that. So I think the point's well taken here on trend number two. You're making a perfect segue to that third trend. Yes, I think we should be aspirational for what our brand is, and we should have a set of values we want to live for, uh, or live up to, rather. But you're making a great segue to not only live the brand, but how other organizations are embracing patient-centered language. So that was our trend number three, was patient-centered language takes center stage. And exactly to your point, these disruptors, the the retail medicine, are using that very consumer-centered language. They're using very plain language. They're using a very conversational tone. And I think they recognize that that clinical competency in many cases is almost that sort of cost of doing business. You'd better have clean white lab coats and nice lasers and good diplomas on the wall. What I want is somebody that's going to speak to me as a consumer. And so that's what very much, and and I think these first three trends are all very interrelated. If you're going to embrace that empowered consumer, you've got to talk to them in a way that they want to be spoken to. And it was exactly the example you gave earlier about that very plain patient-centered language, very benefit-driven. And the disruptors aren't making you wade through that overly technical jargon with the hope of finding that service that you might need They've recognized that, you know, we don't have to use words like cutting edge and advanced and state of the art and all those kind of things, but really just speaking to them the way that they want to be spoken to, which is in just a very human way. And I believe that helps to support this caring gene that these organizations want to have as part of their DNA. The clinical competency almost seems to be interchangeable within organizations. It's the ones that care better. So in our third trend, we speak not only about that, but even some tips to get started with plain language, auditing your content, maybe running it through. We use Hemingway. I think it's even Hemingway.com. But it's a great tool to audit your site and look at what's the education level to understand the content on a particular page. And I think most institutions are surprised when we do this for them that they're, wow, we're reading, writing, rather, we're writing at a 12th grade or even sometimes collegiate level of literacy when we should be at that 5th and 6th grade level. And it doesn't mean speaking down to folks, but just using that active voice, the you pronouns, keeping information well-organized in the hierarchy, maybe using pictures and infographics, which help you also to get that message out faster, but making it everyday words, everyday kind of language and explain things. So we recommend auditing that content. Again, to your point, looking at those disruptors, what are the retail giants doing and why are they becoming so successful? Why are people so embracing something that might even seem a little bit skeptical? Do I really want to put my health in the hands of Walmart and Amazon? These are not institutions that I would traditionally think of 
as caring and nurturing my health and being there alongside me. I think of just them as very transactional relationships. And yet they're growing and they're becoming very successful. And I think a lot of it has to do with, as we had described in this trend number three, that patient-centered language. That's a lot of what went into trend number three in in terms of that very patient-centered language. So as we move into trend number four, we cover something that would it really be a trends report without talking about AI and healthcare? And what I like in the report is that this isn't alarmist. Uh, Your take on AI in healthcare for marketers is not the world is ending or everything is new and and you have to start from scratch again. I feel like it's a real tempered or balanced approach with some very real examples of, of using this tool. So where do you see AI for healthcare marketers? Yeah, and it's exactly that. You used the word a second ago as a tool. I think it's something that's going to help us do our jobs more efficiently as marketers. There's a lot of different dimensions to AI and where it can plug in. When we've seen some pretty exciting stuff, I think the folks at Epic are really harnessing this and pushing this into a really interesting space and one that I think has a lot of potential. When we first started playing with this about a year ago, I guess, it felt like we were faking it, like just typing in a few prompts and it spits out something and it feels pretty generic, but maybe I can refine it as I go through and and chat GPT and I get to know each other a little bit better. But I heard something and it was interesting. I heard this last night. I was on a panel talking about the 30-year view of what's happened in the marketing industry. And I was on the panel because I have this perspective. But somebody had said, think of chat GPT for your marketing team the same way you would look at a calculator. It is a tool that can help you be much more efficient. If I thought I wasn't cutting corners every time I got my calculator out, think of the reality of doing long division and multiplication stuff that I just didn't retain very well (laughs) after high school in 86. But I think these are tools that can really help us. The thinking that goes into a good prompt is really the core of it. What's the message that I want to send? And I think tools like this can really help us get up to speed faster, can help us focus on higher functioning thoughts, paying more attention to the strategy than the actual construct, and then using that starting point to really refine it and make sure that it's in your brand voice. It's great. I think some of the ways that we see people embracing it and what we're excited about, I think it certainly helps expedite research time and spark ideas helps you get off that blank sheet of paper. For those of us that still work on paper or a blank screen, it's very intimidating to know where to start. But I think a good prompt can help expedite that process. Even reformatting and freshening existing content just to keep things interesting. Coming up with headlines or headings for projects, maybe identifying hashtags and related topics. This is where its algorithms can really pull from a lot of really good resources One of the things our digital team is doing, and this has been really interesting, the typically we think of it as content generators. We're plugging in prompts into chat GPT and something's happening. Our digital media buyers were actually pushing ideas back to us and saying, hey, listen, we're I know we want to do some A-B testing on these digital ads as part of this whatever orthopedics campaign. So I came up with four alternative headlines or rewording some of that content for A-B testing. And it was really neat to see folks that I didn't think of necessarily as our content generators using this tool to push it back. And as we all get busier, it can be a great tool to help with proofreading and grammar, just to take something maybe that you've written offline and push this in and see what, what this can do. So we identify in the trend 
We list a number of hospital and health systems that are starting to use AI in a variety of different capacities, providing real-time consumer and market intelligence, informing their SEO strategies, creating virtual assistance to help visitors find what they need. So it's definitely, we're all talking about it. And to your point, it would be silly. We were almost like, all right, well, what are we going to say about AI? But we felt like it was time to just almost pause for a second. I feel like we're all being swept up with the tide and being pushed in this direction. But pausing for a moment to say, hey, what have we already decided are some of those things that I was describing a minute ago? Where do we already see this being helpful? Where do we always already see this being something that we were trusting? So embracing this as a content tool, investing in a, a good chatbot tool if you don't have it for those customer service aspects, all of that I think has been established. And, I, and that's, I think, what we wanted to capture here was in trend number four, what do we know that this is already good at and what should we be definitely using this for as it continues to evolve at a pace before it becomes self-aware and Skynet does what it's did in Terminator and it's the end of all of us. Let's at least use it for what it's very good at at this point. And that's what we identified in trend number four. Love that. Okay, the last one here, navigating the unyielding workforce challenges in healthcare. I like how this addressed also the marketing aspect of that because we don't talk about that as much or I don't hear about it as much as the clinical side, whereas the marketing side is challenged to be able to evolve and staff up and restaff to change up department responsibilities as the approach becomes more consumer-centered. The marketing team has to continually evolve and change, and that means different skill sets, different proficiencies, different leadership styles. Anything else about workforce that's worth mentioning here? Again, it wouldn't be a trends report if we didn't acknowledge... Those the pressure that's on healthcare institutions. If you want to have the staff to be able to deliver the level of services to meet your revenue goals, all of that will support patient outcomes, right? So prioritizing those staffing levels, looking at retention. I started my first sort of HR campaign. And when I started looking at these challenges, it was in the mid-90s, upstate New York. In central New York, there's a, a fabulous healthcare system. And one of their challenges, though, was attracting people, especially younger people in their careers, or nurses who at the time weren't the primary breadwinner for the family, how to bring those folks to a rural environment. Now, this is you know an organization that, that described itself as rural excellence. So it was a very sophisticated, very high-quality system. So here I am in the mid-90s recognizing, oh yeah, it may be a challenge to bring people that really want to practice their craft and think that they can only get the volume or types of cases in a more dense urban environment or whatever. And I thought that was, I think that was it. I was like, oh, that's what a workforce challenge is. Recently, I learned that in some form or another, these workforce challenges have been plaguing the industry since the 1930s nearly 100 years. And as we look at the work we've been doing over the last several years, largely it's just been poaching strategies. How can I package our culture in a way that's more attractive? And by making our organization stronger, I've made your organization weaker. And I'm not sure that, honestly, for those of you wondering if there's an answer at the end of Trend 5 that solves this entire industry's problems, not as much. But I think we're trying to soften a bit on that approach to recruitment anyway, at least that acknowledges certainly the realities of the profession, but looks at some of the implications for marketers, more longer term, more sustainable solutions. And I think certainly partnerships with colleges or schools that would be good feeders within your organization. I think building out those collaborative programs like internships or tuition reimbursement, 
Those are things that I think will attract people to healthcare careers and give them a very clear path to employment within your organization. We talk also in this fifth and last trend about cooperative marketing campaigns. How is it that we can get out of the we're hiring headlines and really talk a bit about the role of the healthcare professional, highlighting that impact that they have on society, that sense of fulfillment and serving a really vital role? How quickly we forgot three and a half years ago, wow, since when COVID hit, society made a quick determination about who was essential and non-essential. Remember this? And it was travel and tourism. It was restaurants retail, bricks and mortar, all these folks got kicked to the curb immediately. And I really thought for sure that was going to be the signal for folks to want to shift. Anybody that that found themselves in that position would want to shift into it. And I don't think that message got out there that we should be attracting prospects with that sense of nobility. So how you can build that into the campaign and, and use that maybe even at the brand level to step outside, I think that's the opportunity for institutions. It's one thing to have this set of what I would call retail messages. We're hiring now, hiring, we have a hiring event, whatever. And that only goes so far. Add to it the predictable expected photos of your employees smiling. It is what it is. Diverting some of those brand dollars to talk about the nobility of what's happening, of how we make a difference in people's lives. I think that's the message I want to hear my local healthcare hospital system talk about. And I think it's what resonates with other employees. They don't want to feel like they're a cog and just yet another person that checked a box that we hired that thing. And I think that's especially true for those really hard to recruit positions, those entry-level positions like CNAs. They can make the same pay in retail and fast food. So if we treat them that same way, if we recruit them that same way, it's just not going to be as sustainable. We're going to be forced to fight on dollars. So look, those the workforce challenges are here to stay. That said, we don't think they're insurmountable. I think we have an opportunity to shift how we talk about and attract and retain folks and describe that nobility and necessity of what they do. And so that's a lot of what into our the fifth and our final trend of this crystal ball 2024 year of disruption that we see ahead of us. Well, Paul, I want to thank you for giving us so much to think about today. What's the best way for listeners to learn more about the report or, or get a copy of it? Yeah, thanks. You can go to our website, smithandjones.com, and just click on the Insights tab up in the menu. You'll see the trends reports, recent webinars, blog posts, a lot of great content. None of it's gated. We want it to be very open and, and accessible. And this is some of the added value we try to, to bring to the industry. Outstanding. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Paul Fahey from Smith & Jones. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again. Thank you.